And I usually start by asking a question. Some of you may have heard me answer, ask this before. Most of you won't. It's a question that I asked at a weekend of a parish called St. Mary's Ballybean. And there are some people here from St. Mary's Ballybean tonight. And I was speaking at this weekend on the Psalms and how the Psalms give us words to say for every occasion in our lives, for every possible feeling that we might have. They give us words to say that nobody would ever dare write in a hymn or a modern song. And I'm glad to say that Keith Getty is trying to do versions of psalms at the moment that are easily sung. Because in the psalms, we have words of joy, we have words of celebration, we have words of hope, we have words of encouragement, but we also have over here questioning, doubt, fear, hopelessness, uncertainty, and that sense that we sometimes experience of where is God in the midst of everything that's going on in my life? And I've chosen to focus on Psalm 23, but I want to ask the question that I asked those people at that parish weekend. And here's the question. When I get into the bath, you're not meant to respond to that <laughs> or even think about it. When I get into the bath, I have two Psalms written on me. Where are they? And the curate's wife said, you see, the bishop has got tattoos as well. I said, I certainly don't. I'm surprised you do. Where are they? Right? They're not tattoos, but they're written inside these two rings. This is my wedding ring. And it says inside it, Liz, Harold, you'll be glad to know that Liz is my wife. And then it says, Psalm 34, verse 3, which is these words, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. And that's what we have been seeking to do for 41 and a half years. And in this ring, which is the ring that was given to me when I was consecrated as a bishop, there's another psalm, or verses from a psalm, Psalm 78, verses 70 to 72, which speaks about how the Lord took David from looking after the sheep in the sheepfold to make him the one who cared for his people Israel and shepherded them. And there's a prayer in those verses. And it says this, he asks that he may do that with skillful hand and integrity of heart. And I invite people, if they want to pray for me in my role as a bishop, which is now one that I've been in for more than 22 years, uh, to pray for skillful hand and integrity of heart. But you know, with all the Psalms and with the amazing range of things that is in those Psalms, there is one Psalm above all others that is the favorite of most people, and that is Psalm 23. Indeed, 
If you had lived in Belfast or any of the provincial towns or indeed any town in England uh, 30 or 40 years ago and there had been an event in that town, it would have been possible for somebody to strike up the Lord's my shepherd I'll not want to the tune of Crimond, which is the tune that was sung at the Queen's wedding, popularized it. And everybody would have been able to sing that psalm, and there are people here tonight who could do it now, could sing the words of Psalm 23 in that version from beginning to end with no words at all. Nowadays, people know that other version. You know, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want that one, don't you? My singing's not very good. Or some people know the one that was on the Vicar of Dibley. But it doesn't matter which version you know, this is a psalm that speaks into our lives and into the lives of those who are being confirmed tonight. And I want to do it uh, with five road signs. Now, some of you have been on little courses that teach you about road signs, have you? Anybody been? So I'm told, the director told me there's a course like that that teaches you about road signs. <laughs> yes, that's right. He heard from somebody. And uh, I, there are five road signs, and I'm going to test you tonight. So here's the first one, right? Put it up. What does that mean? One way or straight ahead. Isn't that right? This is the only way to go. You are not to go any other way. Right? The beginning of Psalm 23 tells us, and I want to say this to those being confirmed, but to the rest of you, that if we want to know what it is to live a life that is blessed, by God, there is one way to go, and that is the way in which he leads us. The Lord is my shepherd, it says, I shall not want. In the very old version, in the Book of Common Prayer, there was a version of Psalm 23 written even before the authorized version of the Bible, and it had a much better phrase in it, and it says as this, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore shall I lack nothing. The word want is a kind of confusing one, isn't it? Because, you know, if you have kids and you go to a supermarket, what do they say? I want, I want, I want. And some of us as adults say, I want, I want, I want, you know. Not that I need, but I just fancy the idea of that particular thing. Now, that's not what it's talking about. It's saying that if you go in the direction that God is taking you and leading you in your life, in this case for the sheep, it's going to lead to green pastures. It's going to lead to still waters. It's going to lead to the provision of everything you will need to fulfill your life. If you've ever been, some of you, to the Holy Land, you'll know that green pastures are very, very hard to find or have been until relatively recently. Now there's lots of irrigation that goes on. But you could imagine 
At the time this psalm is written, green pastures are not something that the sheep are going to find on their own. They're going to need help, the help of the shepherd to take them in that direction. And still waters, the sheep wouldn't go near water that was running too quickly. They would be afraid. So the shepherd takes them to the place where they can graze, the place where they can be fed, the place where they can be refreshed, the place where they can be nourished, and the place that is best for them. And I want to just, I realize I'm speaking into 26 or 28 lives, you know, and I want to plead with you to seek to know where the Lord is leading you and taking you and to trust that he's only going to take you into places and ways that are good and a blessing for your lives. The second sign is this one. What does that mean? There's many 400 people and nobody can say what that means. You better go on that course. What does that mean? You turn. You turn. I've been reading a book about this psalm written by a man who lived for many years in the Middle East. And he says something very interesting. I was talking about that very old version of the psalms. Uh, that was written even before the Reformation and that used to be in the old prayer book. And in that very old version of the psalm, it doesn't say he will refresh my soul, though that is true. It doesn't say he will restore my soul, though that is true as well. It says he will convert my soul. And to be converted means to be turned around. Many lives can testify to that tonight. To be turned around in a different direction. And the book that I was reading about it tells me that Luke 15 with the story of the lost sheep where the shepherd leaves the 99 goes out to find the one and bring it back or the story of the lost coin or particularly the story of the prodigal son that all of these are based on Psalm 23. And in the story of the prodigal or the lost son, the son says to the father, Father, give me my inheritance. Now! I want it now while you're still alive. In other words, you may as well be dead. Give me my inheritance. And I'm going to go off and do my own thing and make a life for myself and he moves in exactly the wrong direction. And he keeps going in the wrong direction. And he fritters away the money. And he comes to the place where there's no money left. His life is in a mess. And at the very pits, he finds himself actually eating the food that the pigs would have eaten. And the food that the pigs would have eaten for a Jewish person was the very pits. And then it says, it says these wonderful words. He came to himself. He realized what he was doing. He realized that he was going in the wrong direction and he starts to move back towards his heavenly father. 
And he writes in his head a little speech, and it goes like this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And as he comes towards his father's house, he doesn't even get the speech out because his father is moving out towards him to welcome him home. He doesn't even get the speech finished. His father is not interested in the speech. His father is only interested in one thing, that this son that was lost has been found again. And I want to say, because at confirmations, it's usually the case that there are some people in the congregation who really didn't want to be here at all. Not usually because they hate church. Sometimes because they're not sure what goes on inside a church, right? Sometimes because they think that everybody else in church has got their whole lives together and they haven't, which is definitely not true, I can tell you. So some people are here tonight who think, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not as holy as all those people in there, right? I'm not good enough to be in that place. I'm not good enough to be baptized or confirmed or to come and receive communion. I'm not good enough. And, and in a sense, that's true. But do you know something? Your heavenly Father is most interested in the people who know they're not good enough. And he's prepared to leave aside the 99 and just focus down on you tonight. And to say to you, look, there is no place you would rather be than back in the house of your father. There is no one who loves you more and who pursues you and who's actually been with you every part of that journey. It says in Psalm 139, if I go up to heaven, Lord, you're there. Even if I go down to Hades or the place of the dead, you're there as well. There's nowhere that I can go that's away from your presence. And the Lord has been with you all that time. He may have not particularly liked what you were doing. You probably didn't either. But he's been longing for you to come back home. And what a wonderful thing it would be uh, if, if some people would find themselves coming, doing that U-turn and coming back home tonight. The third sign is this. What does that mean? What? Warning, yes, I put the word danger on it in my head. Danger. There is something there that's dangerous. And uh, it comes in this psalm, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Used to be in churches, when people sang, yea, though I walk through death's dark veil, they would do it very quietly. Very quietly. 
It's a kind of Victorian thing to do. Yea, though I walk through death's dark veil. I want to say, shout it out. Yea, though I walk through death's dark veil, yet will I fear no ill, for you are with me and your rod and staff to comfort still. The valley of the shadow of death was an actual place. This aisle is proving very useful tonight. It was an actual place. People would have known what he was talking about. It was the kind of place between two rock faces where you had to go through to get to the other end. And because it was a kind of restricted place, it was also a dangerous place because wild animals could get you or robbers could get you. And what you needed to know, I'm going to just get this for a moment. What you needed to know when you went through the valley of the shadow of death was that there was a shepherd there who was going to lead you. And he'd got two things. He'd got a staff. Illustration. Right? He'd got a staff. And the good thing about a staff is that you can get the sheep round the neck. Isn't it? Right? Anybody like to be brought back home with this tonight? Right? You could get the sheep by the neck and you could bring them into line or you could lead them. You could show them the way. And the rod is a kind of cudgel so that when the wild animals came, whop, whop, right? Yeah? And they were gone. Now, you in this church and in other churches in this diocese have been very aware recently about the persecuted church. And I want to say to you, I could not preach this by saying to you that everybody will be absolutely safe all through their lives. Because we all know places where Christians are brutally persecuted. We perhaps all know that 80% of persecution in the world is persecution against Christians. It came out in that House of Lords report the other week. We probably have heard about people in Sri Lanka who were blown to bits in church on Easter Day as they celebrated the resurrection. And those people, you know, are longing to be back in church again, even though their lives are endangered, their lives are at risk. Whereas sometimes we say, oh, it's a good day, I'll not bother. All right? They long to be in the fellowship of other Christians. That's the center of their very lives. So what I can say to you is this. God never promises to take us out of persecution or even to take us out of the place where there can be danger. In fact, sometimes he leads us into that place. But he does promise that he will stand alongside us, that he will be with us, that he will never leave us, and that he will never forsake us. The fourth one is this, right? What is that? This is, yeah, this is a real, real, real Willowfield one, you know. Five-star hotel. Five-star hotel. I was going to say how many people have ever been in a five-star hotel here now, but I'm not asked. Right? Five-star hotel. 
You see, the picture then moves. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. We used to sing as children in some cases, running over, running over, my cup's full and running over. Isn't that right? What it's saying is this, that the Lord loves nothing more than pouring out his plentitude on the one he celebrates. And that's the picture in the prodigal son. In the story of the prodigal son, he comes back home and his brother has been there all the time. The older brother has remained faithful to his father all the time. But what happens when the prodigal son comes home? The father puts on a party. A party. I sometimes say to people in churches that may not be as uh, lively as this one archdeacon, uh, which it certainly is, and I might not, need, might not need to say it in Willowfield, but I say, you know, in the Church of Ireland, there are 40 days of Lent, and those are a time to repent, to get right with God, to examine ourselves, to fast. But on the other side of Easter Day, there are 50 days of Easter, between Easter and Pentecost. Pentecost means 50, the day when the Holy Spirit is poured out. There are 50 days. And I put it in one simple words to, word to congregations. Okay, if you've fasted and repented and lamented during Lent, there's only one thing I want to say to you for this time of Easter when we celebrate the, celebrate the risen Christ, and it's this. Party! Party! Let your hair down. Be unrestrained in your praise of the living God party. And you see, when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing to do is to party. Because that's the first thing that happens in heaven. I found myself on one occasion in Toronto. It was at the Toronto Airport Church, which some of you will have heard of. And uh, there was a kind of meeting with about a thousand people there. It was an evangelistic meeting. It was the kind of meeting there will be with J. John, I suppose. And the preacher preached his heart out. And at the end of his address, he said, now, I want anybody who would like to give their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time to come forward now. And out of the thousand people, two people stepped forward. My first reaction was this. That was a miserable response. That's what I thought to myself. And the Spirit of God spoke into my heart and my mind and my life in a flash with these words. There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. I actually found myself in tears. I thought, why did, how did I ever think that that was a miserable response? Two people repenting. That's twice one, so there's even more partying in heaven at this moment. And I want you to know 
that everybody who chooses to return to the Father, he puts on a party. And even if the others around about you are grumpy and curmudgeonly as you can get when you get old like David and I, and I'm, I'm even older than he is, I must admit. You know, even, even when there are grumpy people around who say, ah, oh, sure, that doesn't mean very much or whatever it may be, God is parting. He's putting on a party for you. And there's nothing he enjoys doing more than that. And the last one is this. What is that? Viewpoint. Yeah. The word I put on it was panorama. It's usually up in mountains or something like that where you can park the car and you can look out and you can see the whole vista, the whole panorama, uh, and maybe look up closely at some of the things in it. The last verse of this psalm says this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And, if that isn't enough, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, if you don't believe, you don't have that panorama. You might think that life is just going to end when it ends and mean absolutely nothing and your body will go into the ground. And as I heard someone taking a humanist funeral say on one occasion, she said, it's not that he has died, it's just that his molecules have been redistributed. I thought, what a load of nonsense. Is that the best we can do? No. Because Christ is raised from the dead, we who are in Christ will be raised to eternal life in Him as well. There is a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, over which Christ reigns. And when we put our trust in Him, we begin to see that big picture that runs not just through the days of this life, but runs into eternity as well. That's what you're giving yourselves to tonight. That's what you're believing. And that is reality and truth because of what God has done for us. Amen.